My question is to you all, um, why are we so bad at sharing the gospel? I mean, would you guys admit, would you guys agree, like, do you think that was a good performance, or do you think that that was pretty, pretty terrible? It was, it was okay? Listen, I heard a couple good things, but I also heard a lot of ridiculous things. Um, one girl told them to sh- shut up and, like, just listen to her. Um, that's a great way about going about that. Um, second, somebody said that just, hey, man, I just want you to open up your heart. Um, like Dirk's response, you want me to cut my heart open? And like, what do, you, what, do you, what do you expect from me? Jesus came down. Jesus saved me. He did all of these different things. And he was all of these different things. But the way that we communicate that, for some reason, we have such trouble with it. And maybe it's because of the environment. Maybe it's because you're not used to communicating with frat boys. You're not, communi- you're not used to communicating with um, stoners. You're not commu- used to communicating with women from Minnesota. There's a whole lot of people that you may not be used to communicating with. Um, but especially in regards to the gospel, there's something about it that naturally I think makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And my question is why? And so I I, I do that only to set you guys up to ask the question, why are we so bad at sharing the gospel? Only to make the point that I think we're bad at sharing the gospel because we don't understand the gospel. We don't understand it. What do you mean? Like we're in church, right? Well, what I'm seeing more and more as I go through ministry, what I'm seeing more and more as I myself have grown up in the church, I've grown up in Christian school, I've grown up in a Christian family, but more and more, listen, I'm not surprised when a lost person gets saved because of the gospel. I'm more surprised at the fact that there's hundreds and hundreds of church people who are getting saved now because they're just realizing the gospel. People that are filling churches where they're hearing all of these great messages, but they're not hearing the gospel. Or they're hearing a form of the gospel, but they're not hearing it in full. And so you hear the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, and do you get worn out? Like, does that that become tiresome? to you? Like if I told you tonight, and I'm going to tell you tonight that right now, what I'm going to about to do is I'm going to preach the gospel. And if in your heart you get, oh, no, the gospel, like, I know that. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus died on the cross. He came to save my sins. That's great. Like, we've heard, we're in church. We've heard that. The fact that that may be your heart, the fact that that thought may come across your mind should be an indicator and a warning to you that you do not understand the gospel. Because if you did, that would never, that thought would never cross your mind. That thought would never cross your mind. Because the gospel is so much more than making bad people into good people. That's not what it's for. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people better. He came to make dead people alive. That's what he came to do. It's not about altering your behavior. It's not being a good person. It's not trying to do the things that Jesus asks you to do in order to get heaven. It's about the fact that you can't. And the fact that you'll never be able to. That's the gospel. That's the good news is there's nothing that you will ever be able to do that will amount to any type or form of salvation eternally for you. The only thing you need to understand this right now, the only thing that you bring to the table is the sin that makes salvation necessary. That's a quote that I heard from a pastor named Matt Chandler who is just unbelievable. And it stuck with me and it will continue to stick with me. The only thing that we bring to the table in regards to our relationship with God, in regards to our salvation, is the sin that makes salvation necessary. That's the only thing that you have to offer. Nothing else. Everything else is done by Jesus. Everything else is done by God. And that's why it's the gospel. That's why it's the good news. Because there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. And so you say, Joey, why are you going to do this? Why are you going to talk about the gospel? Why are you going to preach the gospel in church? 
We're all in church. We've heard it. Most of us are believers in here. Well, here's the deal. I went to Christian school for 12 years. Probably longer than that. I went to Christian college as well. I was saved by the time I got to Christian college. But all through high school, it wasn't until my junior year that God got a hold of my life. It wasn't until my junior year. I was 17 years old. It was April 8th of 2006. I was down in Key Largo, Florida. I was high on painkillers. And it was a bad night. And that's where God met me. And that's where God got a hold of my heart. But all the while, if you would have asked me, I would have told you that I was a Christian. Why? Because I prayed a prayer when I was three years old. I prayed a prayer and I said, Jesus, I want you into my heart. Because I understood, at least as a little three-year-old, that, hey, uh, Jesus is good and the devil is bad. And, of course, I don't want to go to hell. I'm three years old. What am I going to do in hell? Right? I'm three. I don't, I, the idea of fire scares me. The idea of monsters and demons, that terrifies me. I don't want to go to hell. And so at the age of three, I knelt beside my bed with my mom and my dad and I prayed this prayer. I prayed it as a three-year-old. I probably prayed it again maybe as a five-year-old and as a six-year-old and as a 10-year-old and as a 12-year-old. Why? Because I went to Christian school and I went to church. And every time some pastor or preacher would come in and share the gospel with me, it would scare me into making, wanting to make sure that I was saved. I wanted to make sure because as many times as I prayed that prayer, there was always a doubt in my heart. I never knew if I was in. I could never answer the question. I never had the confidence of if I died tonight, I know where I'm going. And it haunted me. So much so that every time somebody preached the gospel and put that fear into my heart, I raised my hand, I walked forward, and I prayed that prayer again because I wanted to make sure. Well, the reality is, is that you can be sure. You can be sure of the gospel. You can be sure of your salvation. But so many times we miss the point of the gospel, and that's the reason that we have that doubt in our heart. And so that's some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight. As I open up in prayer, I'm just going to ask that God uh, would open our hearts because we understand that. We can't speak Christianese to everybody that doesn't understand Christianese. We go up to people, we say, hey, uh, you're going to be fishers of men. You want to open up your heart. You want to um, receive the Lord. Like all of these different things, we don't understand them. But we do in here, hopefully. Um, so I'm just going to ask God that he would help us to understand and help us to hear his word tonight. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for this opportunity. And I thank you for these students, God. I thank you that we get to be here with them, uh, God, that we get to come up and serve alongside of them. And Father, as there's tragedy in this place, God, and as the storm has come through and uh, there's devastation, um, God, there's a whole lot of things going on, just chaos. But God, we come to you and we know that you have a purpose. We know that you have a, a perfect will, God. Uh, we know that you have a permissive will as well, God. We know that sometimes you allow things that we don't understand. Uh, but God, the beauty of the gospel is that it gives us the confidence to continue to move forward with you, alongside of you, God, believing in you, that you have a plan, that you have a purpose, and that you desire to see us through. And so we thank you for that tonight. And so, God, I ask uh, for those in here who know you, God, that this would be, uh, that they would become reacquainted with your gospel tonight. God, for those who don't know you, because there are some in here, um, Lord, that you would so penetrate their heart with your word tonight uh, that they would not leave this place without knowing you for sure. God, without having a connection, without having an intimate moment with you, God, and that you would save their life even tonight. So, God, I thank you. We love you. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So why do we miss the gospel so much? That's my question. Why do we miss it? Especially in church. And that's the point that I'm making. It's, it's funny that a lost person would get saved. Well, obviously, because if they really come to the realization of the gospel... 
They hear the fact that they're a sinner, that there's nothing that they bring to the table outside of the sin that they have in their heart, the sin that they were born into. It may make sense to them. But what happens in church and what happens in Christian school, what happens in American Christianity is we dance around the idea of the gospel. Why? Because we don't want to offend people. We want to keep numbers in our churches. There's a whole bunch of reasons why we dance around the gospel, but the reality is is that we dance around it and very few people are preaching the gospel in its entirety and in its fullness. And the reality is is that there's, there's really two kinds of people in the world. There's people that are saved and people that are not. That's it. There's only two kinds of people. People that are saved and people that are not saved. People that are saved and maybe still running from God and people that are running from God and, and, and don't know that they need him. You see, there's a guy, his name is Brother Lawrence, and he made this quote in a book that he wrote, and he said, God will not allow a soul that is searching for him to be satisfied anywhere other than with him. And the reality of that is that the Bible tells us that each of us was made, and when we were put together, when God formed and he fashioned us, he made us and he placed eternity in our hearts. That there's this design that's a part of every single one of you that longs for a relationship with the Father, that longs to be in communion with him. But the reality is is that we're born into a world and we're born into flesh that's not in communion, that's not in relationship with God. And so you have this void in your heart, you have this void in your spirit that you begin to search for as you grow up. And some of you may have decided to try and find it in drugs, and some of you may have tried to find it in sex, and some of you have maybe tried to find it in in even good works, in being a moral person, in upholding the law, in being good, and being right. All of you are searching for something because there's a void in your heart. You're searching to be satisfied. And Brother Lawrence's quote says this, listen, God is not going to allow you to be satisfied. Why? Because he's made you for him. And as long as you're trying to find satisfaction anywhere other than with him, you're not going to find it. You're simply not going to find it. And so again, there's two types of people. Why do we miss the gospel so much? I think it's because, uh, point number one, I think we read the Bible and we think it's about us. We read the Bible and we think it's about us. Well, here's the deal, guys. It's not about us. And as long as you look at it as if it were about us, you're going to miss the point. You're going to miss the point. The Bible's not about us. And I don't know if, if anybody's ever told you that in your life. I go back to my entire time in, in Christian school, my entire time in Sunday school, my entire time growing up in youth group. And I don't know if there was ever one person that told me that the Bible was not about me. And that's how I read it for so long. Well, what do you mean? Give me an example. The example, here we go, David and Goliath. What the, what's the story of David and Goliath about? For a long time, I thought it was about me. I thought it was about having to overcome giants in my life and about praying to God and letting him give me the strength to to, to do great things in his name and about saving other people who couldn't do it on their own, about facing my fear and about overcoming. But guys, the the story of David and Goliath has nothing to do with you. See, we read that story and we go, okay, I've got to be David. And we place ourselves in that story and we say, God, is, God desires for me to be David. It's not about you. You're not David. You're the, the, the sissy little Israelite peeing your pants in the corner of the tent looking out and scared of Goliath. That's who you are. Jesus is David. And he comes in the most unlikely fashion as a shepherd. And he comes and he defeats the giant of sin in our lives, the giant that none of us could ever defeat on our own, the giant that would destroy us in a heartbeat. The only one who could have taken care of that giant was Jesus. That's what I mean. We read these stories in the Bible and we think they're about us and they have nothing to do with us. And the danger in that, 
becomes about performance. Why? Because when you make yourself David, you go out and the first giant that you face and you fall, you get so disheartened and you get so bummed out about your failure that then you go and run away and you hide. Why? Because you failed, because you didn't overcome, because you fell, because you screwed up, because you went back to the drugs, because you went back to the girlfriend, because you couldn't overcome. And that's the danger when you read the Bible and you make it about you instead of what God has done for you, instead of what Jesus has done for you. So that's how we read the Bible and we make it about us, but in reality, the Bible is not about us at all. It's not about you, it's about the gospel. And so we walk through the story of David and Goliath. So what is the Bible really about if it's not about us? Listen, every book, every page, every word on every page is about the gospel of Jesus Christ. From cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, it's about Jesus and it's about the gospel. And so some of you in here, you may be saved Some of you may not be, because here's the reality. Again, guys, I went to Christian school. I went to church my entire life, and it wasn't until I was 17 years old that God got a hold of my life. So I'm not dumb enough to think that everybody in here is saved, because I was that guy who heard the gospel time and time and time again, who thought I was saved. So some of you in here may be saved. That's great. That's awesome. There's something in this for you. Some of you in here may not be saved. Great. I'm glad you're here. Some of you, you may not know. You may be like me, who for 17 years of his life thought that he was saved and really came to the conclusion that there was nothing in my life that added up because the Bible tells us, listen, that you'll know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. The life of a saved person looks like change. It looks like fruit. Why? Not by trying harder, not by doing things differently or trying more or putting yourself into a better situation to succeed, but simply because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus Christ has so penetrated your heart that the only appropriate response is change. The only appropriate response is change. And so the beauty of the gospel is that it's for every single one of us. The gospel isn't just for non-believers, and that's another lie that we believe so many times. That's another reason that we miss the gospel because we think that it's only for non-believers. The gospel, that's great. I've heard it. I'm saved. I don't, I don't need the gospel, right? Like God, he, Jesus came. He died on the cross to save me from my sin, and, and, and that's it. And the gospel is the starting point for us. And then we think that it means to move on in Christian maturity, that moving on in maturity is, 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 is moving past the gospel and moving into acquiring the graces and growing in spiritual gifts and all of these different things. But here's the deal, guys. It only matters if the gospel is what is changing you day after day. The gospel is not just for non-believers. The gospel is just as much for believers as it is for non-believers. And so we have two passages in Scripture tonight that I really want to focus on. One of them is for the non-believer, and one of them is for the believer. Because that's it. There's two kinds of people. There's people who know the Lord, and there's people who don't. There's people who know God, and there's people who don't. And so we're going to start with the Christian tonight. And if every one of you guys would open your Bibles, if you have them, we're going to turn to the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's right before Micah. So let's turn to the book of Jonah. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1. And again, this is about the believer. And hear the gospel in this story because already some of you may have thought, listen, I know the story of Jonah. I've been in Sunday school. It's about a guy who got eaten by a fish because he was disobedient. It's about what God wants to do with us. It's about what God is going to do for us or to us if we're disobedient. 
If we're disobedient, God's going to swallow us up with a fish. God's going to throw us into a storm. He's going to get us into a shipwreck. And the whole story becomes about us and whether or not we're obedient to the calling that God has on our life. But I'm here to tell you, listen, the story of Jonah is not about you. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that as we open it up. It's Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now listen, this passage right here, it says something that's very, very, very disheartening if you're a believer. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, here we have this guy, his name's Jonah, right? And it says that he's a prophet of the Lord. We know that by going back to the book of Kings. And we know that Jonah was a prophet under King Jeroboam. And he had a specific ministry. He had a specific uh, office in that kingdom, okay? And Jonah, at this point in his career, he's a successful prophet. Well, what do I mean by that? He actually prophesied. He said, this thing is going to happen, and it's the word of God, and it actually came true. That's how you measure success or failure as a prophet, is it not? If you prophesy and it doesn't come true, nobody's going to call you a prophet. They're going to call you a liar. But Jonah was successful at this, at this point in his career. And so he has the word of the Lord spoken to him. He proclaims that word. And then God comes through and does exactly what he told Jonah he was going to do. That's success. And so we have in verse 1, God telling Jonah, listen, go to Nineveh, this great and wicked city, and cry out against it, for their sin has come up before me. And it says in verse 3, look at this, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Listen. It does not say that Jonah ran away from the calling of God on his life. It doesn't say that he ran away because he was scared of Nineveh, because of their wickedness, because he was scared of what they might do to him. What the Bible tells us is that Jonah rose to flee from the presence of God. Now, what on earth would cause a prophet, that's like a pastor, okay? Substitute that word. All of a sudden, the pastor gets up and runs from the presence of God. The entire ministry of a prophet, the entire ministry of a pastor, that hinges upon their ability to to be in communion with God. Their desire to be in fellowship, their desire to be in the presence of God. So what's going on in this guy's heart as a prophet that all of a sudden he decides, I don't want to be in the presence of God anymore. There's something very seriously wrong with Jonah's heart, and my point is that Jonah doesn't even notice it yet. And again, I wish I could take this whole book and walk you guys through because it's amazing. But we just don't have time tonight. So I'm going to try and get through it as much as we can and make the points that I feel like God really wants us to hit on. But here's the deal. We have the man of God running from God. Not his assignment, but God. Many of us think, again, it was about Nineveh. But we're going to see that it's not. Many of us think, hey, it's about the wickedness of Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't want to go because they are so wicked. He's scared of what they might do to him. But if you read the story of Jonah, you realize some very important things that had nothing to do with Nineveh and had nothing to do about what, how they were going to receive Jonah. There's something very, very deep going on in Jonah's heart, and that is what God desires to address. And so in verse 3, we pick it up. It says that he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare. Listen, Jonah's running from God, right? And he, he's running away from the presence of God, and so he goes, listen, I'm, I'm going to go down to to Joppa and see if there's a boat going to Tarshish. And when you study this, you realize that at this point in history, Tarshish was about the, it was the the last place on the planet. 
It was the end of the world. It was the farthest that anybody had ever been. It was the farthest that anybody could get to. It was the farthest place known to man. And that's where Jonah says that he's going. So he's not just getting up to go into his house and hide from God. He says, I'm getting out of this town. I'm getting out of this city. I'm getting out of this country. And I'm going as far away as possible from the presence of God. That, there is something deeply wrong with this man's heart. And so he rises to flee. And he goes down to Joppa. And it says that he found a boat that was going to Tarshish. And he paid the fare. He found a boat and he paid the fare. Listen, Christian, there will always be an opportunity for you to run from God. There will always be an opportunity for you to sin. There will always be an opportunity for you to be disobedient. Why? Because you have this thing called flesh and it's attached to you. And there's this guy, his name is Satan, and he desires to distract you. He desires to steal from you. He desires to kill and to destroy you. And he will give you every opportunity in the world to walk away from the presence of God. He went down there seeing, a, trying to find a way out. And what happened? There was a way out. There was a boat that was going to Tarshish. There was the opportunity for him to get on that boat. He pulls out the money for the fare. Listen, he had the money to pay. It wasn't like he got there and goes, man, I'm trying to get away from the Lord, but uh, I don't have money to pay the fare. Whatever he did, he found that money. He got that money, and he had the opportunity and the ability to be disobedient. That door for you, believer, will always be open. And just because you're a Christian, just because you're in church, just because God has taken hold of your heart does not mean that you are incapable of being disobedient. It does not mean that you're incapable of sin. It does not mean that you're incapable of running away. That's why the gospel is for you. Because although you may be saved, you continue, you continue to need to be saved. What? Not from hell, not from destruction, not into heaven, but from yourself each and every day. And from the desire that is deeply rooted in your heart to run away from the presence of God. Hear that tonight. The gospel is for you just as much as it is for the non-believer. Why? Because you have the same potential to run and you have the same potential to be disobedient. And so we pick it up in verse 4. It says this, But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. It says that, the, that God throws a great wind. Now, the fact that it says it, it tells us this. Listen, it wasn't just some sign of nature. It wasn't just this thing that happened by chance. God designed, he fashioned, he molded, he shaped this, this storm specifically for Jonah. Specifically for that moment. Specifically to cause that type of damage to the ship. It says that the ship was about to break apart. That's how violent this thing was. And it says that God fashioned it. And he's the one that threw it at Jonah. God throws a great wind. Listen, Jonah had gone down into the belly of the boat at this point. And if we look back, it says this in verse 3. Listen, he rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. He paid the fare. He went down into the boat. We pick it up in verse 5. It says this, but Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship and had laid down fast asleep. What word do I keep saying that's so repetitive it's almost annoying? Down. Listen, he starts out with one decision. He says, I'm going to go down to Joppa. And that decision leads him down into a boat. And that decision leads him down into the belly of the boat. And that decision leads him to go down to sleep. Every decision that he's making in his disobedience and every decision that he's making in his fleeing and in his running from God is leading him further and further and further down. And that's the place that these guys find him in because all of a sudden the mariners, the sailors, they begin to freak out. And these are guys who knew the ocean. These are guys who knew the sea who would not be shaken by a little storm. But all of a sudden come to the conclusion something is very, very different from anything that we've ever seen before. 
And you've got these seasoned sailors that are now crying out for their lives. And they go and they find this man who's asleep down in the belly of the boat. And they go, bro, what's the deal? Who are you? Who are you? And Jonah begins to explain to them. He says, listen, I'm a prophet of the most high God. And the reason that this is happening is because of me. They begin to cast lots, and God even allows the lot to fall on Jonah. And what happens in God's grace is that even the mariners, despite the fact that Jonah has yet to preach the gospel to them, they get saved simply because they see what God is doing. They begin to worship God. It moves their hearts to worship. The sinner, the pagan, the mariner, the sailor, these guys are the worshipers. Well, you have the prophet over here who's still running and being disobedient. Don't tell me the gospel is not for you as a believer. God desires to reconnect with your heart, and that's what we're going to see. So every decision that Jonah makes is leading him further and further down. In verse 17, that's where we're going to pick it up. It says this. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. And we pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. So this is what happened. The storm is getting worse and worse, and they get to the point where we're going, listen, we got to do something. Jonah goes, throw me overboard. It's because of me. Just throw me overboard. And they try and row. They try and get out of it, and they can't. And finally, they say, listen, man, we're sorry, but you've got to go. And they throw him over the edge of the boat, and he's now in the middle of the ocean, floating there during this raging storm. And it says that God prepared a fish to swallow up Jonah, and it brought him into his belly, and he was there for three days and three nights. It says again, in the same way that God prepared the storm, God prepared a great fish. And he was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights, and then it says this, then Jonah prayed. Then. Then Jonah prayed. Up to this point, through the storm, no prayer. Through getting thrown out, floating around in the sea, no prayer. Through getting swallowed up in the fish, no prayer. After three days and three nights of being in the belly of this fish, this fish, it says that then Jonah prayed. Listen, the book of Jonah is not about God's punishment over Jonah's disobedience or Jonah's rebellion. It's not. It's about God's grace to a rebel prophet. It's about God's grace to a rebel prophet. Well, how do I mean that? Listen, God used the storm to get Jonah's attention. He used the storm to get Jonah's attention. He used the fish, not as punishment for his rebellion, but as a hospital for Jonah's heart and for Jonah's soul. Why? Because God knew, listen, if there's something so deeply rooted in your heart that is causing you, my man, my prophet, my guy, that I desire to use in ministry, that I desire to give my word to, that I desire to walk side by side with, if there's something going on in your heart that is causing you to run from my presence, that's not good. And as much as Jonah doesn't realize it, God does. Here's the deal, guys. Listen, we don't recognize the needs that we have. And God knows them far before we do. It's the story of Adam and Eve. Adam didn't know that he needed a woman. He didn't know that he needed a wife, but God did. God looked at it and said, this isn't good. Adam didn't go, uh, I mean, where's my girl? Like, he had no idea. He's just going about his day, going about his father's business, and it takes God recognizing, listen, this dude has a need that he doesn't even know, but because I do in my grace, I'm going to provide for him what he needs. And it's the same story here with Jonah. Jonah does not know what's going on in his heart, but God does. And it's that desire that God has for Jonah's heart to become reacquainted with him that God causes this storm and that God causes and prepares this fish to swallow him up. 
And so it's not about Jonah's punishment for being rebellious. It's the fact that God desires to reconnect with this man's heart. That storm was designed to get his attention. That fish was designed as a hospital for Jonah's heart where God could perform surgery and get him back to the point of desiring to be in the presence of God. And watch this. It's in verse 10 that we pick it up. Now the word, where are we at? Chapter 2, verse 10. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Picking it up in chapter 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I can tell you, or that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Watch this, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited him out onto dry land. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. That's God's grace. Listen, the gospel, the grace of God, it's about giving people second chances. It's about the fact that you're going to fail and when you do, there is grace to give you another shot. How do I know that this story is not about God wanting to, you know, get Nineveh's attention? Because that's how we read it. He sent him to Nineveh. He didn't want to go, so God punishes him. Listen, if it was only about Nineveh, God could have used a hundred other people to do it. There's Hosea. There's Amos. There's all of these other prophets that are around at this time that have spoken the word of God that has come into play and it's been fulfilled. God could have used any one of those guys to go and reach to Nineveh, but he didn't. He wanted to use Jonah. Why? Because he knew, he knew that there was something going on in Jonah's heart. It wasn't about Nineveh. If it was, he would have sent somebody else. Jonah, you don't want to go? That's fine. I got Amos over here. I got Hosea. They'll go. They'll do it. No. He goes after Jonah. He pursues Jonah in his rebellion. Why? Because he wants to use Jonah. Because he wants Jonah to love him. He wants to get reacquainted with him in his heart. And that's what this story is about. It's God's, it's God's passionate pursuit of the rebel. God's man, the prophet, the Christian, the believer who still has the potential to run away and who still chooses to run so often and yet God continues to pursue you. So where do we see the gospel in this story? Where do we see Jesus in this story? Because I told you every story, every word of every page is about Jesus. Where do we see him? Where's Jesus in this story? Look at the storm, guys. Look at the storm. Jonah rebels. He runs away from God. God sends a storm to cause Jonah to be thrown overboard. He sends a storm in order to get Jonah's attention. He sends a storm in the most unlikely of fashions to get this man out of that boat and into the water where he can deal with him. Jonah's going one direction in the boat. God says, listen, I've got to send something that's going to get him out of that thing, that's going to redirect him, and what I'm going to use to do that is the storm. And so in the same way that God sends the storm to get Jonah out of that boat and off of that path, God sends his son Jesus to redirect you in your life and get you back to where you need to be. But it starts with the storm. And so God sends his son. Why? Because we're a rebellious people. Because we have things going on in our heart and, Jesus, and God says, listen, I'm going to send something that is going to rock your world. It's going to turn everything upside down. And it's going to cause you to come face to face with me. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. And so that's how the gospel is for the believer because it says this, listen, then Jonah heard the word of God and it says that he rose and he went. You see, something happened. In the grace of God to give him a second chance, in the grace of God to give him another opportunity Jonah responds. God had reconnected with his heart. And now Jonah's obedient. Why? Because he recognizes the grace that has been poured out on him. 
The power of the gospel is to change lives. Because that's what it's about. It's about Jesus and what he did in order that you would be changed because he doesn't want to leave you in that place. He doesn't want to leave that rebellion, that pride, that stuff that's going on in Jonah's heart. He loves him too much to leave him in that place. And so he does something that looks very hard to deal with. He does something that looks very damaging. He does something that looks very much like it could be punishment. And yet, it's because he loves him so much that he can't leave him the way that he is. And so if the gospel, you've heard it so many times and yet you keep on sinning, Paul would say to you, listen, if you think that because you're going to sin that grace is going to abound so that you're just going to keep on sinning, may that never be. Like if that's your heart, you don't understand the gospel. You don't understand grace. Because here's the deal. Listen, I'm not married. But if I was and I was a jerk to my wife and she looked at me and she goes, you know what? I love you just as much when you're a jerk as I do when you're not. What's that going to do? It's going to break my heart. You think that's going to make me go, you know what? She doesn't care. I'm just going to be an idiot. No. The fact that she's going to look at me and say, I love you just as much when you're being this way, that's going to break my heart. All that's going to want to make me do is serve her and love her and do good to her. Why? Because she's been that faithful and she's been that graceful towards me. That's what grace does. It changes you. It doesn't doesn't make you want to keep sinning. It makes you want to change. It makes you want to be different. And that's what the gospel does. And that's the hope that you have as a believer, is that even though you have the potential to run, even though you have the potential to rebel, God is passionate about you, and he will come after you, and he will not stop because he is relentless. He will send the storm, and he will send the fish, and he will get you out of that boat, and he will reconnect with your heart where you are unable to connect with his. Why? Because he loves you, and that's what the gospel is about. You will run, and God will pursue you. That's the gospel for the believer. So what about the non-believer? Let's talk about him. If everybody wants to turn real quick to 2 Kings chapter 5. Another Old Testament book, 2 Kings chapter 5, right before, uh, right after 1 Kings. We pick it up and it says this. This is the story of a man named Naaman. And it says this. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor. Stop right there. So we have this guy, his name is Naaman. God has used him. He's friends with the king. He's a commander in the army. He's experienced victory. This guy has everything going for him. He's got all the money that he could want. He's got all the fame, all the fortune, all the women. He's got it all. He's got respect. He's got honor. He's got it all. But it says this at the end of verse 1, but he was a leper. So Naaman had everything going for him, but he had leprosy. And what we know about leprosy in the Bible is it's, 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 it's a type of, it's a picture of sin. Leprosy and sin. Sin and sickness. And so we have this idea. We weigh them both, but the reality is, is that they don't really compare. Well, what do I mean when I say that? We relate sin and we put it on a scale and we say, well, uh, I do do this, but I don't do that. And that's a little bit worse and so I'm still okay. Or we compare ourselves to one another and he says, well, uh, I smoke pot, but this guy does ecstasy. Or I smoke pot, but this guy uh, blows coke. And so I'm not as bad as them. Or I look at pornography, but I'm not actually sleeping with anybody, right? So we're good. And we put sin on this scale in the same way that we put sickness on a scale. But the reality is, is it doesn't compare. How do I mean that? It may be fair for me to put, si- put sickness on a scale. It may be fair for me to say, ah, I've got a little bit of a cold, 
right? I've got the sniffles. I've got a little bit of a cough. My throat's a little bit jacked up. I've got a little bit of a cold. But if I came to you and said, you know, you said, Joey, how are you doing today? I said, man, I'm, I'm good. I just, I got a little bit of brain cancer today. What? You have what? You have a little bit of brain cancer? Like that doesn't work, right? And so sickness, you have a scale where you could say, I've got a little bit of sickness. I've got a little bit of a cold. I've got the sniffles. I've got a sore tummy. But you can't say, I've got a little bit of brain cancer. That's a big deal. That's the reality of sin. Listen, sickness you can put on a scale, but sin you can't. Why? Because when you match that one little sin against the holy God, that one lie that you told looks like brain cancer. That one lie that you told, that one time you slipped up, that one thing that you said matched up with the holiness of God is deserving of hell for eternity. That's serious. And God looks at your sin and he doesn't go, oh, that's a little bit of a sniffle. He goes, you're going to die from that. You're going to die from that. And that's the state that we find Naaman in because at this point it says that he has leprosy. He was a leper. Now, leprosy in the Bible, as much as it's a picture of sin, here's the deal. Nobody got healed from it. You couldn't go see the doctor. You couldn't go get medication or an antibiotic. You were a dead man walking. Eventually, it was going to take your life. Eventually. Unless the only things we see in Scripture of people being healed by leprosy was by a miracle by the grace of God. That's the only way people got saved from leprosy. It's the only way they were healed, by a miracle from God. And so Naaman had everything, but he was a leper. And listen, God gives this man an opportunity. It says this. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back a captive, a young girl from the land of Israel. She, wa she waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, if only it, her mistress, if only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. Listen, God gives Naaman an opportunity, and it comes through a little servant girl. A girl who we don't even know her name. This little Israelite girl, she goes up to Naaman and she tells Naaman's wife, listen, like if he would just go see God's man, if he would just go see God's prophet, he, would, he, he has the ability, he can heal him from his sickness. He can heal him from his leprosy. And so God uses this little servant girl who we don't even know her name to get his attention and to tell him the right way to go. And it's the grace of God in the form of the servant girl that tells him, listen, there's a way to be cleansed. And it's the truth of the prophet it's the truth of the prophet because what we're going to see if we pick it up, it says that, listen, in verse 9, Naaman went with his horses and his chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to say, saying to him, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman came out furious. And so Naaman comes to the prophet of God. It says that he comes with his horses, he comes with his chariots, he comes with his gold, he comes with his silver, he comes with all of his different clothes, thinking that what? He's going to pay to have his leprosy removed, he thinks that he has something to offer in exchange for the grace of God. And he has nothing. And what is the prophet's word to him? It's the truth of God that he says this to Naaman. Listen, actually, Elisha doesn't even say it. He sends his messenger boy to tell him, listen, go to the Jordan and wash seven times, and you shall be cleansed. He says, go to the Jordan and wash seven times. It says that Naaman walks away furious, 
He says, why couldn't I go to the river at my house or the one in my backyard? They're, they're closer and they're nicer. Why? Because the Jordan River was disgusting. The Jordan River was disgusting. People, you, you, you don't go just bathe in the Jordan River. It's, it's, a whole lot of things happen between animals and washing of clothes and people using the bath. There's just like, it's just, it's, it's, it wasn't a nice river, okay? And so Naaman goes, you want me to do what? You want me to bathe in the Jordan seven times? You want me to dunk? You want to put my head under that garbage? And he becomes furious. And he says, why can't I do it my way? Why can't I do it my way? And so he rebels when he hears the truth of God's word. His response is that he becomes furious. And some of you, you're in that place as a non-believer. And why you don't want to come to God, you think, listen, God is asking me to do these things and I don't agree with them. God wants me to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. He wants me to stop looking at porn. He wants me to stop smoking weed. He wants me to stop doing whatever it is that you find yourself doing. And he says, listen, I want you to live in a certain way. And we take those commandments and we become furious and angry at them. Why? Because we don't agree. We think that our way is better. And we think that the commandments of God are designed to remove the fun from our lives. We think that God wants to put shackles and chains on us and put us in prison to do his will. When God is saying, listen, the commandments that I've given to you are to heal you and to make you clean and to make you free. It's the opposite of everything that you think because the choices that you're making are killing you. The choices that you're making are leading you to death. And the commandments that I've given are made to give you life. And so it says that he becomes furious and it's God's continued grace. Why? Because what happens is that the little girl comes back to him and she says, listen, like his servants come to him again and they say, listen, if, 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 if he told you to go up to the mountain and bang pots and pans and blow trumpets and do all of these great things, you would have done it. But he's giving you a very simple thing. He says, just, just humble yourself. Just humble yourself before God. Recognize that you have a problem because, Naaman, if you leave this place, you're going to die. Humble yourself and go bathe in the, the river seven times. Well, what would that look like for Naaman, the guy who had everything? You see, at this point, it says that he was a leper. And what that means is he probably didn't just have a little spot, okay? He was probably covered at this point from head to toe. You know, like he's full of leprosy. And so for so long, when he first realized it, he probably tried to cover it up. Because that's what we do. That's what we do when there's sin in our lives. We try and cover it up. But what leprosy does is it makes you numb. And it continues to grow and it continues to fester until one day you're walking down the street and your arm just falls off. And you don't even know. Because it makes you so numb to the fact that you have a problem. But it spreads and it grows and it destroys you from the inside out. And so to the fact that they're asking him, listen, just go and bathe in the river seven times means that he would have to go down there where all these other people are who probably know who he is because he's the guy with all the honor, with all the glory, and with all the fame. And they're going to know why, because he's going to have to undress himself, and he's going to have to reveal, and he's going to have to be humbled in front of everybody, and they're going to know that Naaman has leprosy. The great conqueror, the great warrior, the guy who God had used to win battles and wars, who was friends of the king, he had leprosy. The lepers were shunned. They were made to live in colonies. They couldn't talk to people. They had no rights. And so this guy who had everything knew that for him to reveal himself in that way would cause him to then again have nothing. But he doesn't, really, he doesn't realize he's already got nothing. Because if he walks away, he's going to die. And so the word of the Lord comes to him. The servants come and they say, listen, just go. Just go and do what the prophet tells you to do. And it's the continued grace of God that allows for him, listen, 
to have that opportunity in the same way that Jonah did a second time. Listen, but it doesn't allow him to escape from the truth of God's word. Because here's the deal, guys, there's one way. As much as Naaman said, why can't I do it my way? Why can't I go to my river? Why can't I do this the way that I thought that it was going to? I have all this gold. I have all this money. I have all these chariots. They can just be yours if you would just heal me. But when he goes back, the word is still, go to the Jordan and wash yourself seven times. Listen, the truth of God is not going to be moved, whether you like it or not. It's not going to be moved. It's not going to be changed. There is one way to receive salvation. There is one way to be healed of your sin. There is one way to experience the grace of God, and that is to submit to the truth of God, to humble yourself and submit to the truth of God. There's one way, and it's God's way. And so Naaman lays down his pride, and he embraces the truth and humility. And what is the result? It says this in verse 14, So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. Check this out. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He was clean. So you have this guy who's full of leprosy. And the whole time, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to be humble. He doesn't want to submit. He's got so much pride in his life. He doesn't want to give up the sin in his life in order to be cleansed. Because he doesn't want to do it God's way. He doesn't want to submit to the truth of God. Why? Because it's going to sting a little bit. It's going to be a little bit humiliating. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to lay down your pride in the things that you desire to do. But what happens, it's the truth of God's word that when you submit to the authority and the truth of God, that there is grace that is quick to follow. And not just grace that healed this man, but did you see it? It says that his flesh was restored like that of a child. So now you have this guy who's the warrior, who's the commander of the army, who's been in battle, who probably has scars, who probably has that leathery skin of the guys who are outside baking in the sun all day. He's probably got calluses on his hand because he's used to holding a sword and a shield. Nicks and bruises and scratches all over him. Why? Because that's who he was. He was a warrior. And he comes and he submits to the truth of God and he does exactly what God has asked him to do. He does it God's way and God pours out grace, but not just grace, but grace in abundance. Why? Because he didn't just take his leprosy away. It says that he restored his skin to that of a child. Not just the leprosy, but all the bruises. Not just the leprosy, but the calluses and the scrapes and the scars and the cuts. That's what God does. He pours out grace and abundance on this man. Because he submits and he humbles himself and he does it the way that God has asked him to do it. God pours his grace out on this man. And so some of you may be Christians and running from God. Some of you guys may just be lost and running from God. But the reality is this, that the gospel is for you. Grace is for you, for each and every one of you. And so tonight's that opportunity for you. And I would ask you that you think of Jonah and you think of Hurricane Sandy. I've heard so many people say this is God's judgment on this place because we've forgotten God. Because we've sinned and because we've rebelled. God is angry with us. And that's why he sent this storm. And I would submit to you that it's not out of the anger of God, but out of God's grace and his love for his people that he says, I'm sending this storm because I want you to recognize I'm trying to get your attention. Because if you don't know me, you're going to die. And when you, got, when you die and you don't know me, you're going to go to hell. That's the truth of God's word. And God desires that none should perish. He doesn't want to send anybody to hell. And so he sends a storm that it wrecked many people's lives. It took away everything from them. Why? Because they thought that that was their everything. 
When God says, listen, I've caused this to happen in your life so that you would realize you never had anything to begin with and to start you from ground zero so that you can look up at me and you can realize how I've been trying to get your attention all along, that you can realize how much I love you, that I would destroy your house so that I could reconnect with your heart. And I would ask you tonight to think about Naaman. For those of you who are in this place and you haven't submitted to God, you haven't humbled yourself, you haven't asked him into your heart, the reality of the gospel is this, that you are leprous and you're full of it. And your sin will kill you eventually. And there's one way, guys. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And the gospel is this, that he sent his son to die for you, to take on your leprosy, to hang himself on a cross. Do you guys understand what Jesus was doing in that moment? The strength that it took for him not to wipe out all those people. Listen, God fashions and forms us. He molds us and shapes us. He holds everything together constantly. Like he's holding you together right now. The reality that God allows himself to come down, become a part of his creation take on this filthy skin that we have, walk among us and become part of his own people, become part of his own creation. And what happens on the cross? He gets beat, he gets spit on, he gets punched, he gets all of these different things. Do you understand that in the moment that that centurion reached back to cock his fist to punch Jesus, that God was holding together the muscles and the fibers in that man's hand and allowing him the strength to punch him in the face? That's power. And that's the humility of Jesus Christ, that he would hold that man together while he, while he beat him. He was holding together the fibers in his mouth and the muscles in his, in his lips that allowed him to work up the spit to spit on Jesus' face. He was holding that man together. And he allowed him to do that to him. Because he loves you so much that he would send his son, that he would go through that type of heinous treatment. He would hang himself on a cross. He would die he would suffer what you should have suffered so that you realize, listen, there's nothing that you could ever do that is going to make you deserving of salvation. The only thing that you bring to the table is this sickness and this leprosy. And God says that it is by my grace. I've given you away, but it's not your money. It's not your chariots. It's not your gold. It's not your fame, not your fortune. There is nothing that you bring to the table. You do this my way and my way only. And that is to accept my son, Jesus Christ, into your heart. That is the only way to be cleansed from your leprosy. That's the only way to be cleansed from your sin. That's the only way to not experience the death that is waiting for you at the end of the day. To be restored, not from leprosy, but into relationship with God that he says for the rest of eternity, you can spend it with me. And so some of you tonight, you may be in that place. You've been running from God. And he says, listen, we can do this one of two ways. We can do it your way. But because I love you, I'm eventually going to help you to do it my way. Or you can do it my way, and it's going to be easy. What do I mean by that? It's the story of Dagon, and it comes from the book of Samuel. These guys, they take the Ark of the Covenant, and they bring it in. It's the Philistines. Now, they don't love God, but they want him in their temple. So they bring the Ark of the Covenant into their temple, and they set it up next to their idol, Dagon. They say, we've seen what God's done for Israel. He's done some pretty cool things, so we're just going to add him to our God collection. And they set him up next to Dagon. They leave the room. When they come back in in the morning, they see Dagon face down on the ground in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, it was like the, the presence of God kind of deal. Um, so basically they're bringing God into their temple, placing him up next to their idol. They come in the morning. Their idol is face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And they go, oh, how did this happen? Maybe the wind blew over the giant, star, the giant carved stone 
idol that we've created. And they walk over, and they pick it up, and they put it right back next to the Ark of the Covenant. And they leave, and they come back the next day. And what they find is that Dagon, their carved image, is broken and shattered into pieces all around their temple. Here's the deal. You can do this one of two ways. God desires to remove idols from your heart. He desires to remove sin from your heart. And his desire is to come in to your heart so that he can lay those things down gently. But if your desire is to, I want God, but I also want these other things. And the reason that I can't commit fully to God is because I don't want to get rid of this thing as a Christian or a non-Christian. And that's the reason that you can't commit because you don't want to give up the idols in your life. You don't want to give up the sin in your life. God says we can do this one of two ways. I can come in and I can lay them down gently. But if you desire to pick them back up and put them in the place that is mine, I'm going to have to get violent. And I'm going to have to start breaking things. Not because I'm mad at you but because I love you so much that I will not allow you to stay the same. That's the beauty of the gospel. God loves you just the way that you are, yes, but that's so many people's excuse. The gospel is that God loves me just the way that I am, kind of. The gospel is that God does love you just the way that you are, but he loves you so much that he doesn't want to leave you in that place. He wants to grow you into relationship with him. He wants to change you. Why? So that you can be a promoter for the gospel, that people can look at you and go, look at what God has done in that person's life. I want that. In the midst of this town, in the midst of all this devastation, you have these people who are crying out, who are hungry, going, what is going on? They should be able to look at you and say, there's something that's so steadfast. There's something that's so simple. There's something that's so loving about this person. Where is the confidence that they have coming from? And it should draw them in because of the change that God is constantly doing in your lives. And so some of you tonight, you're that person, you're Jonah, you're running from God. And God is doing things in your life. He's coming after you. Why? Because he loves you and he's in passionate pursuit of you and he desires to reconnect with your heart. And some of you are in that place like Naaman. You say, listen, I've never trusted God before. I've never given my heart to the Lord. I haven't become a Christian. Maybe you thought that you have for your entire life, but you realize that there's still that thing that you're holding on to. You say, you know what, I've, I've done all these different things and I've, I've tried the whole God thing, but I just, I'm, I'm in this place. I won't humble myself. I won't give my life to God. The word of God is that at the end of the day, there's death awaiting for you. And I don't hate to tell you that because I love you guys. And you don't know me from anybody. But the reality is the truth of God's word says that at the end of the day, there's a relationship with God and there's not. And hell isn't just about punishment. It's about for the rest of eternity, you're separated from a God that loves you and who desires to give you good things. And so some of you are in that place tonight and you're going to have an opportunity. So we're going to pray, and I would ask that all of you guys would just bow your heads, close your eyes. And we're going to do this God's way. Some of you guys are in that place, and you need to reconnect with uh, either Alan or some of the other leaders in here. Please come talk to me, come talk to some of our staff or even our students. If you're in that place, you're going, listen, God is trying to reconnect with my heart, and I've been rebellious, and I've been running, but I know that God is trying to do something. And some of you guys are in that place, and we say this, listen, I've never trusted God. There's this thing in my life. And I know that it's going to kill me, but it makes me so angry the fact that God is going to ask me to lay this thing down. And I don't want to trust God. I don't want to become a Christian because it's going to make me give up all of these different things. The only thing that he is going to make you give up is the thing that's going to kill you. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the grace that continues to pursue you. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just ask that you would find yourself in prayer as I pray and examine your heart. 
And if you're that person tonight that needs to get saved, I pray and I beg that you would come and talk to me. Come and talk to Alan. Come and talk to one of your leaders. Do not leave this room tonight not knowing that God has cleansed your heart and that God has made you new. And if you are that person again, that believer that says, I've just been running from God, I ask and I pray and I beg that you would come and talk to one of us as well. Let us pray with you. Let us help you walk through it. Reconnect with God tonight. Let's pray.